Well, good times already in the Lord's house today. I hope you've already experienced what God wants you to do. Sometimes it's easy to sit and watch what God's doing with somebody else, and that's wonderful. But this morning, I just believe God wants to speak to you as well, to me as well, and each of us as individuals. And I believe that as we continue this series, he has something to say on a topic today that speaks to us all. I am going to change <laughs> this, though, or else you're going to watch me wobbling all over the place. So... Kudos to Jesse for getting it done on that stand. I said earlier there's a card like this, and I, I think this morning as we talk about temptation, and specifically a, a bit on the issue of sexual temptation, I believe that there's some things that the Lord is going to speak to you on that uh, may not be something that, that, uh, uh, that you're able to just stand and say, hey, that's me, I'm dealing with it, but you know you are, and you would like to dialogue and discuss and talk. And if there be anything like that, and you just think maybe the privacy of a communication card just saying, hey, I'd like to meet, I'd like to catch up, or I'd like to talk about this, um, would you use the communication? card this morning uh, coming out of the message. If the Lord just speaks to you in a certain way, drop in the offering at the very end. Again, if, you, if you're new with us, we'd love for you to use that as a tool just to communicate your info to us, or if anything's changed, that would be great. But uh, let's, uh, let's jump into it. Uh, temptation. That's our focus this morning. Temptation. In fact, it's everywhere, right? Temptation. <laughs> you probably could stand up and every single one of you could share a story this week of when you were tempted in some way or another. And probably a pretty good number of us would say, here's how I even fell to that temptation this week. It is all around us. Everywhere we go, temptation is out there. It might be for you at work in that subtle little funny flirting that happens with somebody of the opposite sex. Temptation sneaks its way in to those type of things. It might be in the conversation with somebody other than your spouse that maybe goes a little too far and you say a little bit too much. Temptation sneaks its way in in those things. Might be, <coughs> did I just lose it? There we go. So, no, you're oh, you're fine. It was my mic that went out. So simultaneous there. So, um, it might be on that out of town business trip when you're kind of like, well, nobody knows me in this town. S- temptation it sneaks its way in, right? I mean, it is everywhere. Temptation's real, and this is what I believe: temptation it's waiting to ruin our lives if we don't learn how to resist it. And so as we continue our series on Joseph this morning, that's our focus. Our focus is on temptation. We're going to primarily focus on the temptations of the flesh this morning. Not that that is all the temptations that we deal with, but it's certainly a temptation in our day and age that's pretty prevalent. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. I believe uh, this morning our goal needs to be to avoid some of the horrendous conclusions that people have gotten to in their life, some horrendous consequences as well that people have faced and experienced from not being able to resist the temptations of the flesh. So here's the thing you need to know to start. Don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think that falling to any temptation can't happen to you. The most important thing to think is that I could be vulnerable to this. Any sports team that thinks they're vulnerable to some style of play from their opponent, guess what they do? They work at it. They work at making sure they're not vulnerable. They're not going to fall to that And so don't think it can't happen to you. It happened to the wisest man in the Bible named Solomon. He fell. Happened to the strongest man in the Bible named Samson. Remember him? It happened to a guy who was described after God's own heart. It happened to David as well. And if we're not on guard, it can happen 
to us as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 39. Now remember, last week I encouraged you, bring your own Bible during this series, all right? So by a show of hand, who didn't bring, no, I'm just joking, we won't do that. We won't do that. <laughs> Thank you, Alan, back there for sticking your hand up right away, though. I appreciate your honesty. So, so. Genesis chapter 39, we're going to take a look at uh, uh, the continuation of the story that we started last week on Joseph. So chapter 9, verse 6, let's take a look at this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and follow along, or it'll be on the screen for you as well. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Reminds me a lot of myself in this story. I don't, uh, I don't understand the laughter, so I got one acclamation from my wife down here, so this is all that matters. Everyone else, just be quiet and follow the little passage. All right, he says, and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Uh Uh-oh, danger zone here. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, he's saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, Joseph's ability to resist temptation is proof of one thing. It can be done, right? It can be done. We can overcome temptation. And for Joseph, I mean, this is the height of temptation, standing before this powerful woman with no one around, and she wants to have sex. And he says, no. It can be done. Joseph's been there in Egypt about 10 years now. Remember, he came to be a servant for Potiphar, but he's not living with the slaves anymore. He's not living out with the servants. He's now progressed to the point where he is living in the house with the master, and he's in charge of everything that goes on in the house. All the slaves, all the work, all the activity, it's all under Joseph's care. The Bible says that the master only concerned himself with what he was eating, what actually went into his mouth, everything else. He entrusted to Joseph's 
And you may be here today, um, and things are going pretty good for you. They're going pretty good for Joseph in this situation. Ten years ago, he was a slave, sold into slavery, you know, being drug out of a hole. But now everything's going pretty good in his situation, pretty good for him. Maybe that's you today. Things are going pretty good. But remember this. After your greatest achievement often becomes your greatest temptation. After your greatest achievement often comes your greatest temptation. That's the time. Why does this happen in these situations? I don't know. Maybe because our greatest achievement sometimes takes so much work out of us. It exhausts us. And we become vulnerable for temptation at that point. Or if you're married, maybe it's because you put so much time and energy and effort into your achievement that you might have neglected your family and your spouse. And temptation works its way in. Maybe the love bank, you know, is low, as they say. You're vulnerable in those situations. You're vulnerable. Maybe it's because you just felt unfulfilled. You worked and worked and worked at this achievement, and in the end you said, wow, that outcome didn't quite bring me what I thought it would bring me. You're unfulfilled, and you're vulnerable in those times. Or maybe, on the other hand, your achievement was so great that it put you in a place where you became a little bit full of pride and conceit. And you kind of felt you were above things now or above other people. And you thought, I'm not vulnerable at all. Dangerous place. (laughs) Very vulnerable. And so Joseph, things are going pretty good for him. But after your greatest achievement, often comes your greatest temptation. So be prepared is what we're saying here. It's what happened with Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph was well-built, handsome. And the master's wife said, hey, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And you see, Joseph, uh, he seemed to be everybody's favorite. Well, except for maybe his brothers. He was his dad's favorite, right? Um, He became Potiphar's favorite here as he uh, escalated up to the role that he's in. And now it seems that he has become Potiphar's wife's favorite for a different reason here. He's a favorite. Now keep in mind that Joseph's about 27 years old. He's a bachelor. And probably like like 27-year-old bachelors, he probably had the same desires that most 27-year-old bachelors would have. For 10 years now, he's lived in Egypt, and he's become saturated with Egyptian culture. Now, if you know the Bible and you know how God kind of designs physical interaction for male and female, especially in marriage, you would know Egyptian culture is the exact opposite. It's kind of anything goes in, that's the, that's the culture of the time, and he's lived in that. In fact, probably Egyptian culture, scholars would say, mirrors our present-day Western culture pretty closely. That's Egyptian culture at the time. And he's lived here for 10 years in this type of setup. You know, in fact, maybe at times he would remember the, the values he received from his parents, and now being a grown man, he could easily say things like, man, those seems a little old-fashioned, you know, what my parents told me, or a little out of date. You know, now that I'm a, a man, I, I see things different. I see the world different than what my parents taught me. Sounds a little similar at times to how, how we grow up and forget about the things that we are taught. In fact, he could kind of manipulate some psychology course if he wanted, or some psychology reading if he wanted, and he could really rationalize this sexual temptation, right? And giving in to it. He could rationalize that easy. I mean, he could say, look, my dad gave me everything I wanted, you know, so in life I just kind of ended up getting everything I wanted. Or he could say, you know, my mother died when I was very young and I didn't grow up with my mother. Or my brothers abused me. They were, they were mean to me. Um, I'm alone in a foreign country. Nobody's around to see it. Everybody really does it in this culture anyway. He could have rationalized it in many, many different ways here. 
But verse 8 contains three powerful words. But he refused. That's what it says here. But he refused. It is this stand to resist temptation. It's this stand to say no to what he knows is not right. Joseph said no. I think there's two reasons this scripture tells us on why Joseph said no here. Number one, it says, he said no because of his respect for his earthly master. It's clear in that passage that Joseph had tremendous respect for Potiphar. You see, his master had entrusted everything to him. And he said, look, wait a minute. I'm going to give up everything that's been entrusted to me to do this, this act? I'm not going to happen. I can't dishonor my boss. My boss has been so kind to me and has given me so much. I mean, when's the last time a slave ran the household? Joseph wasn't about to give up for that. In fact, the next time that you're tempted to have an affair or tempted to push the boundaries in kind of an interaction with somebody who's not your spouse, you need to wise up and remember it's not just about you. In fact, that's why they happen often is we get in a selfish place. You need to think about the hurt that it's going to cause your children, the mistrust that it's going to develop with your spouse to have that type of relationship going on. And think about the embarrassment of, that it's going to bring on your family's name. These are the things as Joseph was making a stand. Think about the vows for you that are married that you took to be faithful even until death is what we said. Think about the dishonor then that it'll bring to the name of Jesus Christ. These are the th- type of things that were rolling through Joseph's head here when he said, no, I respect my earthly master. He's put me in charge. He's done this for me. I'm not dare going to jeopardize where he's brought me to this point. You see, really, an affair or a beginning a relationship or an interaction with somebody other than our spouse, it's really a selfish act is what it is. It says, I'm going to do what I'd like because it kind of feels right to me, irregardless of those close to me that I might cause hurt, but not for Joseph. Joseph says he would not have sex with Potiphar's wife. He would not have it out of respect for his earthly master. Secondly, the scripture tells us there that he won't do it because he has respect for his heavenly father. The Bible tells us there that how could I dishonor God? That's so important. He didn't want to violate his relationship with God. That is so incredibly central for us to think about. That whenever we're tempted with something or things come our way, whether sexual or otherwise, that we think of that statement. Will this disrespect and violate my relationship with God? You see, one thing, one way to overcome temptation is important for us is to never forget the, how horrible and what the shock of sin does in our life. To think about what sin does, the relationships it hurts, and how it damages our life, and to never forget that. That's a big helper in overcoming temptation. You see, the devil, he's this master of temptation, and it's very easy to, for him to deceive us and manipulate us in certain ways, whether by direct thought in our head or whether by somebody uh, speaking into us, or maybe it's just something we see on TV, and we come to a point where we can rationalize the same way Joseph could have rationalized, and we can say all these things about how it would be okay for us to give in to the temptation. But see, the devil, he always wants to take something that maybe even seemed proper, and he wants us to act on it in an improper way. 
You see, in, in, when it comes to the physical, you know, sex was created by God, designed for God within a marriage relationship between a husband or a wife. You know, the Bible says sex is good. It's good. And therefore, married couples should feel the freedom to enjoy it. But the devil, he will manipulate that. In fact, that's the proper way. He will manipulate that to help us agree with it being done in an improper way. And so we can go on and on. And the door opens when we, when we first say something improper is okay for the doors to keep opening and keep opening and keep opening. That's Egyptian culture. That's what's going on. And that's what Joseph is seeing around him. But Joseph says, no, I can't dishonor God in this way. And so he resists here. Now, she's relentless, we find out. In fact, it says here in the text, day after day she spoke to him, but he was steadfast in his refusal of her, her desires. Think about your own temptation. Is there anything that nags at you day after day in the tempting world? I know every time I try to cut back on something, maybe soda or those type of things, it, it, I see the displays a whole lot bigger. Oh, it's almost like they know. They read my Facebook, and Pepsi says, let's put a big display up right on Tom's route, and... And they're so sneaky now with the little calorie labels on it. So, oh, 120, that's it? Nah, no problem. I can have two or three of those. I'll be fine. <laughs> Temptation hits you every single day in some areas. And it hit, it hit Joseph every single, every single day. But we find that Joseph says, no, not going to happen. Not going to happen here. James, in the book of James, in the Bible, says it this way. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So we shouldn't blame God, is what James is saying here. All right? Sometimes we say, well, God made me do that. No, he didn't. The Bible says, clearly, that's not from God. For God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after our desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death, don't be deceived. What is James saying there? James is saying how incredibly essential it is that we resist temptation. Because when temptation is given over to, there's a path behind it that we keep walking down. And at the end of that path, James describes it as giving birth to death. So Joseph's there in the house. He goes about his work. There happens to be that there's no servants there on that day. I don't, we don't know why there's no servants. Maybe the, the wives of Potiphar set it up that way. Uh, then she is there in front of him, and he's, she's starting to strip his clothes off is what's going on here. And he has no time to sit down and reason with her on this. And in fact, there's, there's times you might find yourself in situations with temptation where the best thing to do is not try to talk through it and talk it out, but just to get out of the situation, just to get out. Joseph got up and he ran out of the house, leaving his cloak behind. He ran out naked is what's going on here. Um, now that would raise some eyebrows if you saw a naked man running around here that something had gone on. You see, at the time, uh, Joseph, he didn't want to sit and reason or think about it. He just ran. Now you know the story of Joseph. This is the second time he loses his coat. What's going on? He can't hold on to those things. Oh, it's better to lose your coat than to lose a good name. It's better to lose your coat than to, to give in to temptation. Better. So what happens? She makes this pass at him. She, he rebuffs her. She's upset. She feels rejected. She's furious. She's wounded. She's hurt. She's frustrated. 
And her anger then turns to falsely accusing Joseph. That's kind of her way out here. I mean, what if Joseph goes and tells his story and it's believed before her? So she goes and tells her story. And she waits for her husband to come home and she does, you know, her Academy Award winning performance and shares with him here what had happened. And, well, what would you do? It naturally. You believe your wife here. You believe the story that's in front of you, and he does. And we find that his anger burns inside of him, and he throws Joseph into prison, is what we find out here. Throws him into prison. And this poor kid, Joseph, now for the second time, is in captivity here. For the second time, we, he finds himself, this time, in a prison. Joseph does what's right. That's the frustrating part of the story, is it not? He does what's right. He resists temptation, and he's falsely accused. He's thrown into prison, and now he has this heavy price to pay. Now, remember, at the time, this isn't a thrown in the prison, you know, that he's going to go have his, his case before court, and they're going to give him a certain amount of time. I mean, he's basically thrown in the prison, period. That's it. It's done. He's there as long as Potiphar would like him to be there. He would be there. And the indication, if you read further in the story, is that Potiphar just went on with his life and didn't have any thought of Joseph up, up to this point. So that's where he's at. Everything's happened to Joseph, but we find Joseph's character is not compromised here. Just as we talked about last week in how he overcame adversity in his situation, here we find that he's going to resist temptation and overcome even further Adversity. As I was reading this, I, I wondered if there were some life lessons that could help us when we're facing temptation with Joseph. If we could take his situation, which was, was clearly this, this uh, desire for the wife to have sex with him, and he said no, but could help us in general in our life. And I, I think there really is. I want to share four with you this morning. Now, again, I told you I wanted to focus on temptations of the flesh. And though I'll talk more about those in these four lessons, realize that these lessons can apply to temptation across the board and anything that you might be dealing with in your life. So you're smart enough and capable enough to apply them across the board. Here's the number one thing, lesson. It's God's standards are absolute. They don't change. God's standards are absolute. In fact, for many Christians, this might be the number one thing that needs to be embedded into our head and understood, that God's standards are absolute. When we read his word and we look at his word, they're absolute. It doesn't change. The Bible says it this way, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, culture is going to change. But the word of God does not change. It doesn't become out of date at some point in time. And today, in our day and age, especially in our contemporary world, it's very easy to hear the message that the word of God no longer applies to life. It no longer applies to living. It's no longer beneficial. It's too restrictive. But God's words are absolute. His standards are absolute, and they don't change. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's, that's what God's trying to say. It didn't matter how far Joseph was from his homeland. It didn't matter that the Egyptian culture was amoral here. It didn't matter that Joseph was going through, you know, a tough time in his life. God's word doesn't change. And what Joseph was taught in God's values, they don't change as well. And he held to this. 
often as Christians, and we like to take the word of God and we like to kind of, you know, grade on the curve with it. And we like to have a different scale that we figure out and we manipulate. And what I've learned about grading on the curve now that my kids have been in school, um, when I was in school, it's just grading on the curve. Great, I'm going to get a better grade. But now with my kids, I look at it and think, I can never figure out what that exactly means. So um, one's, one curve's one thing, one curve's another. I can't quite figure it out. And that's what we're saying here is often as Christians, we take it and we just apply it in a way that seems best to us. But the word of God is absolute. We adjust it to the times, maybe to make us feel better, maybe because we want it to sound a little bit more relevant in this situation, and we can twist and change things. But God's standard of morality, it doesn't change. Even though you may be single today and lonely, God's standard for sexuality doesn't change. Even though your marriage today may, may not be as fulfilling as you want it to, doesn't change. Even though somebody else, you know, not your spouse, may find you incredibly irresistible, it doesn't matter. God's morals, his standards are in place. Even though it might be just cheaper to live together, to get married, or just more convenient, or whatever, God's morals, his values, they don't change. God's word's the same as yesterday, today, and forever. You see, I really believe that we today, we have a problem in contemporary Christianity and the church sometimes, especially in the contemporary church, too many of us find ourselves reading our Bible and marking in our Bible and underlining, but we haven't allowed the Word of God to mark our hearts and to really dramatically transform us. And that sometimes, and I find myself sometimes, I can be in a Bible study and find out all kinds of great information and neat things, and somebody says something, and I go, wow, that's, that's neat. I never thought about it, that perspective. But at the core, at the bottom of it, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how am I allowing the word of God to transform and to change my life and my thinking? How is this being applied and put into practice in my life? And in this area right, right now of sexual temptation, I believe for the Christian church, this is a key issue for us to evaluate and put into practice in our lives what the Word of God says. In fact, I believe this country is going to change. We need men and women, followers of Jesus Christ, who are willing to acknowledge that the Word of God is absolute, that it's absolute, that it's not changing, and it's applicable for us today, just as it was the moment it was written. That means, I believe, that abortion is wrong, that it's, it's murdering the life of an unborn. That I believe that the Bible is telling us same-sex marriage is, is, is not the plan he put in place for his children. I believe that when believers who call themselves followers of Christ, they just choose to simply live together instead of honoring what God has created in marriage, that we, we destroy a witness, we damage a work of, that Christ can do. I believe every time we walk past somebody who needs us to serve them, that we have misrepresented the love of Jesus Christ. That's what the word of God teaches us, and it doesn't change. You see, God intended, in, in sex, he intended it for, to be a beautiful thing, to be a great thing between a husband and a wife. If you want the blessing of God in your life, we live by God's word. That's where he says the blessing in our life. Lesson number two. So take a deep breath, though. <laughs> Just relax a bit. I know it gets a little tense when the pastor talks about sex or money. Just imagine if we talked about both of them this morning. We won't do that. <laughs> Lesson number two. Temptation's normal, even for the believer. Do you believe that? 
Somewhere along the line, we got this mentality that if I become a Christian, I should never be tempted again. And if I am tempted, then something incredibly wrong is going on. Either God is not just, or I'm you know, still living some immoral secret life or something like that. The, the truth is that even for believers, we're tempted. You know, we're all tempted in some way at certain times. Now, we can open ourselves up for greater temptation sometimes when we're not following God's principles. But even with the best of followers, the opportunity for temptation is there. Charles Stanley once wrote, as long as people seek to gain their own sense of significance and self-worth, meaning their identity from anything other than God, they will be set up for temptation. See, anytime we seek something for ourselves other than God, we're set up for temptation. So temptation faces us all the time. We, we stumble in these areas and sometimes even to a greater degree. I think about it, as long as we're trying to find our self-worth, our identity from anything other than God, evaluate your week, your life. Think about, is there times where I, I just sought my self-gratification or my, self, uh, my self-worth in something besides God? When we worship those things, even for moments, they become little false gods that we follow there. And it would make sense how, how temptation, even to a greater degree, will sneak in. At that, at that point. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said it this way, Satan does not fill us with the hatred of God, but he fills us with the forgetfulness of God. <laughs> you hear that? Is that? It's not that people out there, even non-Christians, hate God. In fact, the, the statistics still tell us over 85% of people believe in God. It's the forgetfulness of what God is about. It's the forgetfulness of who he is, what his character is, what he's called us to be. That we forget sometimes, and in that, when we forget, we stop living that way, and we can face even greater temptation. Here's good news for us. The Bible says this, that Jesus was tempted in every way. Now, that's good news for us, because if Jesus was perfect and he was tempted, then I know it's probably okay if I'm tempted. It's normal, right? He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin, Well, okay, Jesus got us on that one, (laughs) all right? He got us there. He was tempted in the beginning, and he was tempted in the end, and that's what the the Bible is telling us there. And you and I, we're going to be tempted. No matter how good we are or how many Bible studies we attend, we're going to face temptation. It's normal. You don't need to feel like you're in the wrong when it happens. Now, you and I, we're not greater than Jesus Christ uh, in the way that he overcame everything, but remember, it is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And according to Luke chapter 4, one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is what? Helping us resist temptation. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why? Because God knows we're going to face it. He knows that we're going to face this. Remember, this world is not really in control by God. We've given it over. And so as believers, our life can be led by God and His Spirit and we're going to need resistance to temptation. Dr. Uh, Dennis Kinlaw, who married Shri and I 16 and a half years ago now, when we got married, he said this before, uh, before our wedding. He said, there'll come a day when you roll over one morning and you say, who am I married to? <laughs> we had that morning where you look over. No, it's probably best not to say if you did, you know, unless your spouse is not here this morning. And what he's trying to say there is there's going to be a time where you look over and you think, you know, this, this person's a little bit different or we've let ourselves, you know, drift apart a little bit here or why does she keep doing that, <laughs> you know? There's all kinds of things we think like that. 
that's a time, you, you, you might come when, <coughs> when you see somebody, or excuse me, that's the time uh, in your life where you might start to reevaluate, you know, your marriage and what's going on within your marriage. If that day comes, though, I remember him saying, you don't dare think your marriage is over. You don't dare think it's over. In fact, if there's somebody else in your life or something else in your life that's helped create that in your marriage, the Bible says you flee from that. You flee from that person. You flee from that thing. You leave your cloak and you get out of there. You get on your knees before God and you say, God, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, save my marriage, heal my marriage, you know, help my marriage thrive. And I'll tell you, there was a time in Sheree and I's marriage when we turned and looked, we looked at each other, and maybe not quite in the same expression of Dr. Kinlaw said, but it was, it was loosely paraphrased. <laughs> and the Lord healed. Healed to a point where in the last four, five, six years, I, I, I can't explain to you the closeness and the connection in marriage and how it's different than it was before. And I always thought it was good, but it's even something different now. Temptation's normal for all of us. Third, the rewards of purity are eternal. But unfortunately, they're not always immediate. They're not always immediate. I wish it was that way. I wish that every time we did something good or lived a certain way or said no to something that was bad for us, that there would be immediate gratification. One of my favorite uh, commercials that are out right now shows a a guy who uh, has a horn beep every time he's about to do something or go a little too far. I love the scene at the door where he bends in and he gets a little goodnight kiss from a, a lady who's apparently on maybe a first or second date here. Gets a little kiss and then he goes back in for more. The horn, and the horn beeps and he goes, mm, okay, yeah, and backs off. It'd be great if we always had that type of measuring rod. That every time we did something or didn't do something, there would be some horn that beeped and we would know, hey, that was good. You did the right thing. That's perfect. No, no, no. You're not doing the wrong thing. Back off here. And that would be helpful. It doesn't happen that way. But the Bible tells us that the rewards of purity, they are eternal. They're eternal here. Look at Joseph. I mean, he's thrown into prison for doing what is right. I mean, this guy is innocent of anything, and yet he's in prison, and the guilty party's kind of lounging over in the kingdom. That's what's going on. It, just because you do something wrong doesn't mean you're going to get punished right away as well. You know that it takes up to two years for a ticket to get to the offender if you run a toll in the Chicago freeways? Two years before the ticket gets to you. I mean, you just go on with your day. Ooh, got away with that one. And then two years later, you get a ticket. I know this from experience, okay? <laughs> All right? No research necessary on that one. On the other hand, just because you do something right doesn't mean you're going to be honored or celebrated the next day. It can be the frustrating thing when we're living right and we're saying, what gain am I getting in living right? Remember, the Bible promises us our rewards are eternal. In a similar story, here's what the Bible says. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short while. Key phrase there. Regard, he regarded disgrace from the, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. That's Moses, an example to us. A purity is eternal. You have really two choices. I mean, we can enjoy something for the short time, and we can enjoy it well. That's what we call in our culture that self-gratification. You know, there's a problem with it, though. We often have to pay for that. 
We have to pay. You know, like the loan we take out for the car because we were out on Saturday afternoon kind of window shopping and we ended up, you know, driving one home. And then for four or five or longer if we have to renegotiate, we pay for that. Pay for those self-gratifications that come in an instant often in our lives. Or we can enjoy a greater value. And we don't look just in the short term, but we look in the long term. We find that the Bible tells us that our full reward is going to come in heaven. So here's Joseph. And when Joseph's situation, he's doing what is right. He's in prison. He might even, like you and I have said sometimes, he might even say, you know, God, what, what are you doing here? You know, are you, have you forgotten me? But God hadn't forgotten Joseph. And he was abundantly graceful to him or faithful to him as we keep seeing in the story. I believe this. Most Christians vastly overestimate their ability to handle temptation and they underestimate their ability to cope with adversity. Hear what I'm saying there? That sometimes we think, I can, I can handle it. I'll be okay. I'm strong enough. And we fall and we struggle. See, often I see somebody going through a really tough time. They lost a loved one or they're going through something really tough. You know, maybe they have a spouse that is regularly in the hospital or whatnot. And they say, man, I can never go through that. But I watch Christians all the time go through it and make it through it and live on God's strength and they make it because God brings us ability to to cope with adversity. But on the flip side, I see people who when they hear about somebody who's dabbling in pornography or somebody who had an affair and leaves their spouse or a marriage that breaks up, they say, that could never happen to me. Could never happen to me. But it happens. It does. For many, for far too many, it happens We vastly overestimate our ability to handle temptation and underestimate our ability to cope with adversity. The Bible says this, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Final lesson, and that's that victory is possible through escape. It's possible to escape. That's what Joseph is teaching us. Now, guys, I realize that this is not like the action movie uh, mentality here. You know, there is no escape. I mean, you you go in with a bigger gun and you go blow everybody up and and you win in the end. And that's how it happens. I mean, just think if John McClane had left the Nakatomi Tower and left the hostages behind. No diehard one, two, three, and four, five. Wouldn't have been there. Wouldn't have been there. But in reality... Joseph teaches us there's a victory that comes through escape. There's a victory. Young Joseph, he turned and he ran. Paul told young Timothy, flee your youthful lust. He says, flee, get out of the way. A trail guide in Africa was once asked, is it true that a wild animal would not hurt you if you're carrying a torch? You know what the guide said? Well, it depends on how fast you're carrying that torch. (laughs) You see, it's not enough for us to just own our Bible. It's not enough for us to just come to church and, or have that Bible sitting on the shelf. Sometimes it's, like the guide said, it's how fast we're running with it. How fast we're running with it. You see, there are plenty of temptations where the Bible says, stand strong, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Peter says that. But there's other times, and I think especially in sexual temptation, that if we toil long, toil long enough with it, it's going to wear down our resistance, and we're going to give in. 1 Corinthians says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own, you're bought with a price. Did you hear that there? You're not your own. See, that's against our culture. Our culture will tell us what? You know, it's your body, do what you want with it. Not with the fall of Jesus Christ. Your body's been paid with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ paid for us, paid for us. Therefore, honor God with your body is what the scripture tells us this morning. There is victory from escape, from fleeing the situation. For some of us, that might mean it's time for a job transfer. You gotta go in and say, I gotta get out of this situation. Gotta get out of this temptation. For some, there might be a lifestyle change that has to happen. For some, it's just time to get rid of the home internet because you just can't handle the temptation of it. Whatever it is, it's fleeing, it's escape, and you'll find victory in that. Finally, this morning, I want to just share this. If statistics be true, you know, most of us are sit- sitting here this morning, you've been involved in some, some kind of sexual sin. It's what stats tell us. If you have, I, I want to tell you today, if your heart is humble before God and you want it, he tells us that he will forgive you of all your sexual sin. For all your sin that you've, you've, you've not resisted temptation for, he says, I will forgive you for that. By the blood of Jesus Christ, it can be taken away this morning. It can happen for you. And then God says, I invite you to live by my standard. Not my standard that's designed to rule over you, my standard that's designed to give you great freedom, peace, and joy in your life. He invites you into that. Sometimes when we say, look, I blew it already, so there's no help for me. I'll just keep going with this, and you know, what's it really going to matter? No, not true. This morning, Jesus says, I forgive you, and I'll, I invite you to live by my standard and find the peace and joy and freedom that I have to offer. Men, can I tell you for just a second, if this morning you dabble with, addicted to, or whatever adjective you'd like to use to describe it, but if you're locked into pornography this morning, God says he will give you freedom from that, that he has not designed you to be locked into that way that he'll give you freedom and forgive you. You make the first step. God's there to meet you and to offer it for you. If any of you are on the, on the verge, you're in a relationship that you know is probably going a little bit far uh, with the opposite sex, this morning, God can forgive you of that. He can set you on the right track. And then finally, I want to say, if this morning your marriage has been somewhat ravaged, maybe it's by Uh, a failure to resist temptation, or maybe it has nothing really to do with what we talked about, but you just know you're just on the edge this morning. I would say God can restore that. He can bring healing to to your marriage, and he can bring this right sexual atmosphere that's described in God's word. He can restore that to your marriage as well. He wants to do that this morning. Why do we think these, or how do we know these things? Well, the Bible tells us this clearly. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. The Holy Spirit living inside of you, really God in your life, is greater than the one who's tempting you, pushing you, and wanting to see you fail. So this morning, how about an opportunity to partner with Jesus on this surrendering before him, and we'll find some victory to temptation, because it's going to keep coming in our life, but we have one that's greater. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you do. I thank you greatest, Lord, that you bring restoration for us when we've blown it or when we're hurting, 
when we feel like a total failure. Lord, that you bring healing for relational situations that just seem like they're never going to get better. And Lord, we recognize that in a marriage, it takes two people working, two people surrendering before you to bring healing. But Lord, what you've called us each to is to do that ourselves, to surrender before you. And Lord, I just think this morning that there be some people out here that have struggled in this area, that are struggling maybe right now. In some way, they've, they've not resisted this temptation. For some, it might even be on a daily basis, and it's bringing havoc in their life. Lord, I invite them this morning to seek you in forgiveness and just say, Lord, I, forgive me. And then, Lord, would you invite them and would they receive the invitation to live by your standard that each day they would live by your spirit helping to resist that temptation, to building up, Lord, building up the accountability in their lives through your word and through other Christians. And Lord, would they recognize the situations where they need to say, I'm not strong enough, I need to flee and get out of these situations, be as far from them as I can. Lord, if that be dramatic lifestyle changes, that means internet's being cut off or relationships being stopped, money being spent in areas that can no longer be spent there, Lord, I pray you would do it right now in an instant that you would do those and those decisions would be made fleeing. And then, Lord, would you build us up? And as Joseph, Lord, would you bless us the way you blessed him because he stood for you, Lord. He stood in a way that he was saying, I am not gonna dishonor my God. And then, Lord, we'll give you the praise for all that happens. And we give it to you this morning, your son's name. Amen.